0: you're listening to audio from trinity west seattle for other resources more information about this sermon series or to connect with us visit our website www.trinityws.com my name is olivia and i will be reading from matthew 12 to 37 Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven, And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the bat tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they say. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you.
1: Let's uh, pause a moment in prayer and then we'll dive in. God, we thank you this morning. We pray, God, that you, through your Spirit, would speak to us and transform us by your power. And we avail ourselves to you now, God. Open the ears of our hearts. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. When my family um, moved from California, where I had lived all my life, um, to Seattle, It was during the summer of uh, 2013. We didn't realize that, um, of many things, Seattle was the epicenter of the world of the Seahawks, who would uh, be crowned as champions that very season. That year, the Legion of Boom and the 12th Man won the Super Bowl. And leading up to that historic win, I noticed that every Friday, people would um, don the Seahawks' gear. You could see uh, the blue and green colors of the Seahawks literally everywhere throughout the city. When the game was on, the streets were empty. And every touchdown, you could hear the fireworks go off, and then the multiple neighbors uh, shouting in celebration. I remember the entire Pacific Northwest celebrating the Seahawks Super Bowl win during their parade in downtown Seattle, which drew a crowd of, what, three-quarter of a million fans. Schools um, held celebratory parades, with kids marching in the playgrounds or otherwise canceled, and downtown offices were closed. You know, I was really never a fan of football until I came to Seattle, and I quickly realized that you had to choose to either love them or despise them by wearing 49ers gear everywhere. (laughs) And you could not remain neutral, especially during that season. If you were in Century Link, Link, Link Field, you would stand up for the entire game, chanting Seahawks and then shouting continuously to disrupt the opposing team. Unfortunately for the Seahawks, it's been going downhill from that season. And the Seahawks' reign in the NFL was short-lived, although hope still lives on. Now, we know that every sports dynasty comes to an end, and every kingdom throughout history has always lost its dominance over time. But there is a kingdom that increases in dominance and influence over time for eternity. And that kingdom is the upside-down kingdom Jesus brought when he came to earth. The kingdom Jesus ushered in when he arrived as the king demands that its subjects either submit to King Jesus' reign or reject Jesus and his kingdom altogether. You cannot remain neutral. It is an eternal kingdom that will never fade but increase in glory and power because the king of this kingdom now sits on his throne and rules with absolute power and authority, working out his good eternal purpose and plan of redemption in all of creation and all of us are invited into this kingdom to surrender our lives willingly under the loving reign of King Jesus. Now this morning, as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew in the series we are calling the Upside Down Kingdom, we will see Jesus' response to the Pharisees who vehemently opposed and slandered Jesus' healing of a deaf and mute man. And Jesus' response to the Pharisees teaches and reveals to us more about his kingdom by showing us several things. Number one, we will see that God's kingdom has power over Satan's kingdom, that everyone must submit to or reject God's kingdom where there is no neutrality. Third, we will see the consequences of persistently opposing Jesus and his kingdom. And lastly, how words reveal the condition Of the heart. So, so what happened with this demon oppressed man who was blind and mute? Well, simply put, Jesus healed him by casting out this demon that was oppressing this man. And the result was that this man miraculously spoke and saw. Now, consider the kindness of Jesus towards this man who was held captive by demonic oppression who could neither talk nor see. Jesus shows his power and his compassion by healing this man and restoring his sight and speech. It was a miracle, and all the people who witnessed this healing were amazed, and they said, "'Can this be the son of David?' they were asking as if it was possible that Jesus was the Messiah, the the long-awaited Savior and King of Israel. Now, while the crowds who witnessed this miracle acknowledged the possibility of Jesus being the Messiah, the Pharisees, on the other hand, slandered Jesus' act of healing and compassion toward this man who was restored. Now, the Pharisees absurd accusation that that Jesus was somehow operating by the power of Beelzebul, or Satan, prompts Jesus to reply and not only correct the Pharisees, but tells us more about the power of God's kingdom, which stands over and against Satan's kingdom, which is our first point. Now first, Jesus dismantles the Pharisees' ludicrous claim that Jesus was somehow casting out demons by the power of Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus knows something about how kingdoms work as he came to earth as the Messiah and king. Now, No kingdom would stand if there were infighting and division and faction within its own Ranks And Jesus says no house divided against itself will stand. And this is true of any kingdom, tribe, or family. The accusation of the Pharisees does not hold water. And what is more is that other Jews were casting out demons that the Pharisees were associated with. And so Jesus asked them, by what power do they cast out demons? Now, if others were casting out demons by God's power, then how is it that the exorcism Jesus performed was by the power of Satan? The Pharisees had no answer for Jesus, even when shown how absurd their claim was. Now, quite on the contrary, this merciful act of healing by Jesus was not by the power of Satan as the Pharisees absurdly accused Jesus of, but by the power of the Spirit of God as a demonstration of God's kingdom coming upon and freeing this demon-oppressed man. King Jesus was exercising divine power to heal this man from demon oppression and restored his speech and sight. Now, Jesus illustrates to us how powerful and authoritative the kingdom he was bringing when he said in verse 29, how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. But Jesus is showing us that he has the power to easily bind up the strong man, referring to Satan, and plunder his house. And this is exactly what Jesus did when he healed this man who was demon oppressed. Jesus, operating by the power of God's Spirit, can easily bind up Satan and set free any person from the captivity of Satan and his demons at will. It's not even, it's not even, it's not an even match between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. Jesus can advance his kingdom over Satan's kingdom at will. Jesus can incapacitate Satan and his work of oppression and set people free, just like he did for this blind and mute man. And Jesus shows us a picture of a tyrant, not just weakened, but tied up in his own house, utterly defeated. When the kingdom of God comes by the power of the Spirit, then Satan and his kingdom weakens and people are restored. And in the same way, every time Jesus saves someone who confesses their sin and calls on the name of King Jesus, they are delivered from the domain of darkness, from the bondage of sin and from the grip of Satan. Colossians chapter 1 reminds us, that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The kingdom of God, Jesus brings by the power of the Spirit, restores and heals and defeats evil. It is a power that binds up Satan. It shuts up his lies and heals brokenness. You don't have to remain helpless, feeling trapped by sin and beat down by guilt. You don't have to stay spiritually and emotionally disconnected from God because Jesus has come to set us free from sin's bondage and to liberate us to live in his kingdom. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved, Jesus promises. Do you remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, a part of the Lord's prayer. Now this prayer is asking God to defeat Satan's evil empire and for God's people to be liberated and set free, beginning in each of our own hearts. Jesus' kingdom was not a political or military kingdom, but a kingdom that changes everything and everyone it comes in contact with. God's kingdom has come through the unique life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And all of creation has now turned a corner from darkness to light through Jesus' work. Evil's long reign would finally be defeated through Jesus' death on the cross and his victorious resurrection. And people would be set free from the dominion of Satan and our own sin and freed to follow Christ. Yes. There is still evil. There is brokenness and injustice in the world, and we live in the tension between the already and not yet place of God's upside-down kingdom reigning in our hearts, but not yet all around us. But there is a day coming when all evil will be vanquished, all brokenness healed, and every injustice made right when Jesus returns. So until that time every disciple of Jesus is invited to pray with great anticipation, your kingdom come. Praying as Jesus prayed for the ultimate and complete redemption of the world, the radical defeat and uprooting of evil on that day, and for heaven and earth to be married at last. Pray for God's kingdom to come whenever you read of more senseless deaths and violence, and a violation of God's good design. Pray for God's kingdom to come upon friends and family who are in dark places, in hopeless situations. God's kingdom is a kingdom of power over darkness and evil. Pray for God's kingdom to come for those who don't know Jesus as Savior and King. Pray for God's kingdom to come over our relationships with family and friends. Pray for God's kingdom to come over broken bodies and sickness. Pray for God's kingdom to come wherever there is evil and bondage to sin so that God's justice, His mercy, God's hope and the liberating power would come. To King Jesus, He ushered in God's kingdom by the power of the Spirit, which demands all of us to respond by either submitting to Jesus or rejecting him altogether, which takes us to our second point. After correcting the absurd accusation by the Pharisees, Jesus draws a clear line, and he says, you are either on my side or you are against me. You are either with Jesus or you are against Jesus. You have to pick a side in the struggle between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. There is no neutrality when it comes to following Jesus and being part of his kingdom. And what was obvious is that the Pharisees had decided to stand in opposition to Jesus. They dug in their heels standing against him. The Pharisees rejected Jesus and the good news of the kingdom of Jesus in the name of religion. But ultimately because in their hearts they rejected Jesus. As we will see later, the Pharisees were so opposed to Jesus that they distorted the truth. They perverted reality by calling good evil and evil good. But before we get there, how about you? You may not have all your doubts answered about Jesus and his teachings, but but where do you stand with Jesus and his claims to be the Messiah and King? Not just One way, one of many ways to redemption and salvation, but the only way to be saved. For some of you, Jesus' statement may feel like you're being cornered, but the nature of God's kingdom requires that we choose to either submit to King Jesus or reject King Jesus. Maybe you haven't decided to give your life to Jesus and you, and you feel like you are really not opposed to Jesus like these Pharisees apparently were, but Jesus' point is that if you are not submitting to Jesus, then you stand opposed to him. Now in verse, at the end of verse 30, he says that he uses the gathering and scattering this animal imagery to drive home the point that if you are not helping to intentionally gather the sheep, then you are allowing the sheep to scatter. If you have not committed your life to Jesus fully, why not? What is holding you back today? Why are you struggling to accept Jesus and His offer of forgiveness and salvation If that is you, there'll be many of us here who'd love to speak with you about your journey and share what God has to say about submitting your life to Jesus. The short answer is that that Jesus came to save humanity from the mess that we made because of our rebellion and rejection of God. Our sin against God has severed us from the life-giving relationship we were meant to have experience with God. And there is no way for us to bridge that gap. But Jesus made a way for us to reconnect with God by receiving the punishment for our sin on the cross and giving us his perfect and righteous life to be our own. This is the good news of Jesus, that when we repent of our sins, we are forgiven and we get to start this journey of being disciples of Jesus Are submitted to him and on his side. Now, up until this point, we have seen the power of the kingdom Jesus brought, which defeats the kingdom of Satan, and secondly, the requirement for each of us to decide to be with Jesus or against Jesus. For those who choose to stand against Jesus. A stark and shocking warning is offered to us in our next point when Jesus shares the consequences of persistently opposing Jesus and his kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but what stands out to me in this part of the passage is about a sin that will not be forgiven and will never be forgiven. Okay, Jesus, you have our attention. But I thought Jesus offers to us the forgiveness of sin. All sin, regardless of what kind of sin we commit, including even the sin of murder. Now what is Jesus talking about when he says there is a sin that is unforgivable? Well, we need to talk about the context of what was happening here in this passage before we jump too quickly to define what is the unforgivable sin. Now the Pharisees as we saw, called the good work of Jesus in healing this blind and mute man, evil and demonic. It wasn't that the Pharisees had a difference of opinion in the theology of exorcism or or even the method in which Jesus healed this man. It was that the Pharisees witnessed a good deed of a demon-possessed man being healed by Jesus, and they called it evil the pharisees attributed the work of the spirit of god through jesus and the healing of this man to the work of satan and jesus says the pharisees had committed the unforgivable sin by calling good evil and evil good the pharisees were guilty of distorting reality, rejecting the truth, perpetrating a lie, and ironically, blind to what they were saying in blaspheming and speaking against the Spirit of God. Now they were so offended by Jesus and his refusal to defer to and respect their spiritual and social authority in Jerusalem that they saw the good works of healing that Jesus did through their distorted lens of pride and self-importance and dared to accuse Jesus of healing and operating to the power of Beelzebul or, or Satan. The Pharisees were guilty of calling good evil and evil good, which revealed that ultimately they were in a condition which prevented them from receiving God's forgiveness. Wait, but wait. Surely God is able to forgive all sins, right? Yes, that is true and right. Right? But the Pharisees who see good as evil and evil as good are unable and unwilling to repent by humbly coming to God to ask for forgiveness. One commentator wrote about this heart condition saying, They called good evil. People in such a situation cannot repent and seek forgiveness. They lack a sense of sin. They reject God's competence to declare what is right. It is this continuing attitude that is the ultimate sin. The outright and persistent rejection of Jesus and his words, rejecting the Spirit's power to heal and to convict us of our sin and his kingdom reign will result in unforgiveness by God, not because God won't forgive sin, but tragically, because they refuse to humbly repent and ask, for forgiveness they do not see what they are doing and saying against Jesus as something sinful and needing forgiveness now the promise of god's forgiveness through jesus still stands as it, as paul wrote in first or john rather wrote in first john chapter 1 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness amen But when someone intentionally and persistently hardens their heart against Jesus and the work of God's spirit, then they are actively rejecting God's kindness, which leads to repentance. It is only Jesus who can forgive sin. And it is only Jesus who can definitively know who will remain unrepentant and persistently reject Jesus and his good news of the kingdom. But there are indicators to help us assess the condition of our hearts so that we do not remain in a state of rebellion and opposition against Jesus like the Pharisees. So how do we know what the condition of our heart is? We will know by how how we speak, which reveals the condition of our hearts, which takes us to our last point. Now Jesus, he often used the tree and fruit metaphor to describe a person's actions or words uh, as a reflection of their heart condition. Jesus says, if you suppose a tree is good, its fruit will be good. And the negative is true as well. If the tree is bad, the fruit will be bad. The point is that a good tree will produce good fruit and a bad tree will produce bad fruit. You don't need to make both the tree and the fruit good. Just make the tree good, and it will produce good fruit. And Jesus rightly points out that the Pharisees were evil at their core, calling them a brood of vipers. So naturally, the the evil fruit of their behavior were as venomous as vipers when they blasphemed Jesus and the power of the Spirit. What we say and the words that we communicate come from the heart. The heart is the control center of our words and actions. That is why Jesus said at the end of verse 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The same could be said about our actions. Whatever the heart is full of will determine what a person will say. And do. Now, the reason why we act and speak out of the heart is that the heart is an all encompassing term to describe, as one biblical dictionary defines, the seat of physical, spiritual, and mental life, as the center and source of the whole inner life, which includes our thinking, feeling, and will. While you may wax eloquent, with your words to present a refined facade of yourself. Over time, your true self will always come out when no one's looking. Jesus addresses not just good and evil words, but talks about how we will be accountable to God for every careless word we speak. Careless here means talking about worthless things and perhaps speaking of things that would be better left unspoken or unsaid. Jesus is saying that it's not enough just to avoid speaking evil words and therefore be in the clear with God, but we are to pay close attention to every word that we speak, intentionally speaking, loving words. In other words, words that encourage Truthful words, grace-filled words. Have you ever carelessly used your words and realized that your heart wasn't in the right place? How often have, you, have we spewed out careless and hurtful words? Now, all of us have spoken carelessly and unintentionally hurt someone, or maybe intentionally. Maybe it was just a comment to get a laugh, But the impact of those words cut deep and hurt someone. You know, I remember a time when I was super careless with my words. You know, as a kid, probably third grade, I got exposed to curse words at school, not knowing what they actually mean. But one day, I was so curious how I would feel if I were to string all of those words I learned together and then say them out loud. So I went into a room, locked myself in there, and for a couple of minutes, I spewed out all the bad words that I knew. I repeated them. I did combinations of them, and then in reverse order. And I was done after that. I couldn't say any more. But after that, instead of feeling relief, oh, yeah, I got this off my chest, I felt guilty dirty I was like man that was a lot of profanity that came out of my mouth <laughs> so I knelt before God of course and asked him for forgiveness and since that time I've never wanted to do that again now God has given to each of us the ability to communicate with words not just to share information but to mirror God's character and his heart, to show the values of God's kingdom through our words. We are to use our words to build up others, to encourage them, to speak the truth in love, to provide wise counsel, to call out injustice, to bring comfort, to lovingly confront sin, and also to praise and thank God for who he is. You know, in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5, Paul writes, "Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving." Notice in this verse that instead of foolish talk, we are to speak words of thanksgiving to God. Now because our tongue is prone to carelessly speaking. We need to pray like King David did in the Psalm 39. I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. You see, our words, like our actions, reveal the nature of our true identity, the real you, and the condition of our heart so that On the day of judgment, we will either be justified or condemned by the words we have spoken. Jesus calls our attention to all speech and warns us against thoughtless and careless words. We will be held accountable for both our words and our actions. If we want to change the way you speak and what we do, we need A transformation in the heart. And the same power that healed this demon-oppressed man can heal your heart so deeply and transform you so completely, other people will notice the change in the way that you speak and also in your actions. When you invite King Jesus to reign over your life, It is a comprehensive invitation to Jesus to reign over every part of your life and your heart and your mind and your soul and your body, including your tongue. Commit every part of your life under the loving reign of King Jesus today. Amen? Amen. This week, as you guys meet in community groups, Would you share these uh, questions? Who or where can you pray for God's kingdom to come in power? What area of your life do you need to submit to King Jesus? And lastly, how can we better use our words to show God's kingdom values? Let us pray. God, we know and we see, we read that it is only by the power of your spirit, the kingdom that Jesus brought Can we be healed? Can we be set free, God? So we ask that you would change our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. You alone can change our hearts. We invite you, God, into our hearts, and we ask that you would do spiritual surgery in us. We are sick in our hearts, Lord. And we need your healing. We need your kingdom to come so that we can be a blessing to those around us, to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. Help us, Lord, to use our words to bend people, not to our own wills, but instead to use our words to help and encourage people's hearts, to bend them to your good and perfect will. Jesus, we invite you. Would you reign? May your kingdom come over us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.